Okay, so let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for being with us this morning. We thank you that we can sit in this auditorium and it's a wonderful day. It's a, the weather's great, but when the weather's hot or cold, you're still with us because we have the right and the freedom to worship you and no one can stop us, Lord. And we just thank you for that privilege that we take for granted so often. We thank you, Lord, for all those who make this church possible, for those who serve, for those who are doing work behind the scenes that may never get seen and never get a good thank you. But, Lord, we thank you for them. And now, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts up to your word as we finish talking about need-oriented evangelism. We pray, God, that, again, you would help us to lay aside our preconceived ideas, that you would help us lay aside those barriers that keep us from fulfilling what you have told us to do and invited us to do and have privileged us to do, that we might just be your representative. So show us a little more this morning how to do that and help Chihuahua Evangelical Free Church become more and more of a church that is missional and fulfills the Great Commission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we are going to be on the subject of need-oriented outreach. And so this is a series we've been doing called The Eight Traits of a Healthy Church. And so this is like kind of in the middle. I kind of starting to lose count. We had um, the spirituality, your your devotion, passionate devotion was one. We had empowering leadership. We had inspired worship. And we've morphed into now need-oriented outreach. And we'll start into Um, What does it mean to serve or to use our gifts in our next couple of messages coming up? So I'm going to suggest to you this morning a three-pronged approach. I mentioned it last week, but we're going to talk a little bit more about it, and it's going to be the center of the outline if you want to take that out of your bulletin. And it's called Prayer, Care, Share. Okay, kind of rhyme, easy to remember, but they're a great description of some stages that we're going to go through, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. If you would like to turn there in the scriptures, or it'll be on the screen. Acts chapter 8, now this is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, which maybe you remember. So, verse 26, Acts 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road. The desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, Gaza, as you probably know from modern news, it's kind of along the coast, but at that time, uh, the Mediterranean coast, right near the border of Egypt, and, and it's a major road into North Africa. Okay, so when they would travel, there was more than one way to get there, but this was the one of the, the most direct ways to get into the, the provinces of North Africa. Africa at that time in the Roman Empire or Egypt. Now, I want you to notice here is Philip. He's sent out into the middle of nowhere, and you don't hear him saying, oh, come on, God, that is a long walk. I mean, it's going to take me two or three days, and have you noticed how hot it is out here? We don't see Philip doing that. Philip is available. He goes where God wants him to go. Okay, moving on, verse 27 On his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which is queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. 
And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Now, Candace is not a name, it's a title. This is the title for the queen mother in Ethiopia. And the way that their government worked was that the, the king, which was actually it was her son, uh, was considered a deity. And so he didn't get himself involved in the mundane uh, governance affairs where people just stand in line and come to you day after day and ask, could you give us this? What about that? Make a ruling on this. They left that to the mother. And this man is an important official in the court. So he is the treasury secretary, is what we would call it today. So he's pretty strategic. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship, and maybe he conducted some commerce and business there as the treasury secretary. But here is this strategic person that God has chosen, that he's going to have some message brought to this guy. Because once this man, if you've read the story, you know, responds to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, he is going to take that message into Africa. He's going to maybe be one of the links that disseminates the story of of who Jesus is and and what he did into an entire continent. So this is like a major turning point for the continent of Africa. And so This is God's plan, and he's going to use Philip to do that. Now, the eunuch has a scroll of Isaiah. He's unrolling it, and we're going to find he's in a particular place in that scroll, and he's seeking God because you got to know the Holy Spirit has been at work, right? He's orchestrated this whole thing. And so this guy is right. He's ready. The Spirit's been working on his heart, and we're going to bring Philip into that story of where this guy is. Philip is available. Philip is responsive to fulfill God's plan. So that's the first point on your outline. Maybe Philip's been praying a lot, but I would like to suggest that you begin with prayer. You begin with this idea of saying, God, just put on my heart what you want me to be doing. Who do you want me to be talking to? So prayer is to be available to God's leading. Be available to God's Leading Now, being available means that as you pray, you say, God, you know, put some people on my heart. Last week, I, I challenged you, if you were here, to think of five names. Start praying for God to give you five names, just five names. And you pray for five weeks for those five names. And let's see what God does with that as you pray. I'm not saying that you're supposed to go out and do something with those five, but maybe you will. But just start praying. Pray for five weeks for five people. It could be a family member that you know, a friend. could be somebody you haven't thought of in years, an old classmate. It could be somebody, you know, that you just met that recently and God put them on your heart. And just let him kind of stir you up what would you like to pray for? So God will put that into your mind. So it's somebody in the neighborhood. You partner with God for his leading. So simple first step, right? Nothing real threatening about praying for five people. And then maybe in five weeks, we can share a little bit about what God did with that. And so let me just challenge that if you haven't started that, go ahead and start. If this is the first time you're hearing about it, then put five names. There's a spot on your outline. You can put those names down toward the bottom and see what God will do. Then join us. Moving on in Acts 8, verse 29. 
the Spirit told Philip, go to the cha- that chariot, that chariot, and stay near it. And then Philip heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. And the man answers, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip is walking along, and you know you know the guy's got to be surrounded by guards that gave permission. He goes right up into where the guy's being taken back to Ethiopia, and he has a conversation with Philip. The Holy Spirit and Philip initiate this conversation. So Philip's walking by. He's hearing Isaiah 53 being read, and so there we are, this great setup, and he gets invited up. And so Philip is ready and willing, and this guy's heart is ready and willing. And Philip asks a question. Do you know what you're reading? It's kind of a, he hears this very strategic part of Isaiah, which talks about the suffering Messiah, if you haven't read it. And so Philip wants to know, where is this guy? He asks a question. Notice that, you know, God is initiating this. Philip wasn't like forcing himself into a situation. He waited for God. And God opened this guy's heart. He hears him reading. And he doesn't go, hey, have you heard all the good news about Jesus? He just asks, do you know what you're reading? So he's engaging in a spiritual conversation. It's going to go step by step and unfold in the way God wants it to. And so once again, we have Philip trying to understand where is this guy's need. His answer will guide Philip on where to go next. So Philip is going to meet him at his point of need. We talked last week about the Samaritan woman at the well. She was full of needs, right? Full of theological questions, full of emotional struggles. And Jesus met her where she was. He treated her with dignity and respect and interest and and didn't shun her like so many others. And so your people that you pray for in your circle of influence also have varying needs, They also have lots of things going on in their lives, just like the rest of us. And so as you pray, maybe God will kind of give you, and here's some things going on in their life, so you can understand a little of their story, a little of what they need, and where they're struggling. And so it's okay to ask questions sometimes, and just say, so what's going on in your life? What, you know, tell me a little bit about what's happening. I haven't seen you in a while. So ask some questions, and get below the surface. Okay, verse 32, the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers, shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, I want you to imagine this scene. Well, I've alluded to it already, but one of the... the Few people now, this is Philip, that knows all the story of who Jesus is and what he's done. Philip just happens to be the guy that could tell the story and explain Isaiah 53 to this guy. And so here's this man who knows about the Messiah, just happens to walk up to the chariot, happens to be out in the middle of nowhere on this road, and he happens upon him at just this right time when the guy isn't just reading uh, uh, the scriptures, he's reading Isaiah. And he isn't just reading anywhere in Isaiah, he's in Isaiah 53, which is this major messianic prophecy. At that very moment, Philip walks up, he hears him reading in this. So God arranged, obviously, in his sovereignty, 
a special moment. Now, maybe your special moments with people won't be quite as dramatic, but they're still just as much God-ordained. They're just as much where God is saying, I'm going to work this together. You pray, stay in tune with me. I'll open the doors and you don't have to worry. You just talk, ask questions, show you care. So look for spiritual openings in those conversations as you're in the midst of an act of caring. So first you pray, you pray to be available to God's leading. And second point is caring. Okay, so... We care. We spend time. And again, you're not going to somebody you don't know and say, here, I'm going to do all these things. And they're like, whoa, you're building a relationship. And, And as you see needs, you care. It might be something like you see in the picture, a simple cup of coffee together or tea, if you prefer, which I do. And so you look for a spiritual conversation. You look for a lead. And that relationship is critical. There was a a poet from India named Tilak. And he was deeply impressed by the kindness of an Englishman. Now, this was some time ago when there was a lot of tension. Um, England had colonized India. And so there was tension. And the English looked down on the Indians. But this Englishman did not. And he was impressed because while others kind of showed this racial disdain, this Englishman treated Tillak with respect. And they talked, they got into a conversation, and then the Englishman gave Tillak a New Testament. And he started telling him a little bit about it. And, and he gave it to him and he challenged him with this. He urged him to study it and said, if you do, you will become a Christian within two years. So here's this man from a country that's strongly Hindu, and Tillich just doubted that this was possible. But later, you know, God used the memory of how that Englishman treated him when others were were racially bigoted toward him and looked down at him. And he remembered he treated me with dignity and respect. He cared about me. And so he picked that New Testament up, and he read it. And then he believed in Jesus Christ And he testified this. He said, I could not tear myself away from its burning words of truth. Just a simple caring for another person that culturally, your culture around you saying, no, these are lesser people. But this man didn't believe that. And look, here was this man who as a poet was able to influence his own country. So when someone did a survey of evangelical Christians, that's people like us, and they ask us, people like us, to describe their image of an evangelistic person. Now, think about that. If someone walked, if I say to you, right now, think of what, when you say this person, wow, they're really evangelistic, what adjectives might pop into your mind? Okay, now think for a minute. Here's what generally got described. Aggressive, pushy, dogmatic, narrow-minded. That's interesting that evangelicals would think that. Naive, silver-tongued, moralistic, overconfident, arrogant, insensitive, and critical. I know, it's a pretty harrowing list. Anyone have any of those that popped into their mind? Because many of the unchurched out there would would agree. Those were often the kinds of ways they describe us as basically pious, dogmatic, looking down, and isolated. They didn't mention that. But 
Now, in contrast, when asked to describe the person who helped bring them to Jesus, so they're now if they're a Christian, they're an evangelical, they get surveyed, what was the person like that, that helped bring you to the Lord? Here's the two most cited adjectives, caring and loving. Now, here's our stereotype, which is probably why we're all terrified to think of going out and doing outreach, and, but, but here's what really works, caring and loving. And how do you care and love except in a relationship? Now, once again, let me say this week, I said it last week, that doesn't mean if you are a person that likes to go out, meet new people, give them tracks, you don't have a relationship, but God leads you to do this, that that's wrong or it's inferior. Just know that. But for most people, a prayer, care, share way works more naturally for them. But don't hear that if you are a fan of Kurt Cameron and Ray Comfort, that you can't do that method. You can I learned uh, evangelism explosion where we would go and visit the, f- the families of Awana people. We had a little entree because of Awana, but we didn't know them. And we went through a presentation and, you know, it wasn't like horrible and, and people weren't like yelling and throwing us out of their house. But for mostly of, in my life, I found prayer, care, share worked a lot more naturally. And so we treat people with respect in these spiritual conversations it will open spiritual doors because somebody who knows you starts to trust you and they will talk with you about things they might not otherwise want to discuss. But remember, like we said last week, this is a a dialogue. It's not a lecture. It's Yes, you can present and you can go through a track and such, but mostly it's a dialogue and mostly it happens over quite a bit of time. Remember also that we said last week that the average person who comes to the Lord has a relationship with eight different Christians. So you're maybe one of many having that kind of a spiritual conversation, and it takes time. So let me ask you, have you ever engaged in intentional acts of caring that would build a relationship have you shared these kind of spiritual truths? Not, not, now, I'm not saying like the whole thing, we're getting to that, what is the gospel message, but just kind of something spiritual. Uh, I prayed for you, or I was praying to the Lord and this, about this problem, and here's how it worked out. And it's just a natural part, and you put a little spiritual truth into your conversation as God leaves, as the Holy Spirit directs you. And often you plant the seed, And then you're going to come back later. Now, I know, maybe some of you have heard this thing, but what if they get hit by a bus tonight? You have to share it. You've got to share it all right now. But, okay, so here's how I kind of respond to that. So is our view of God's sovereignty that limited that if he has elected for them to become a follower of him, that he can't stop a bus from running over him tonight? Or can we trust In this conversation, at the right time, God will open the doors, and that means he's not going to take them out. And so we trust God to work in their heart in the meantime between those conversations. Okay, Acts 8.34. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And here's the big question. Then Philip began with that very, that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Good news, remember, is the word gospel. So 
The eunuch, he doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem some years just before that. So he's just out the eagle. He's been in Africa. And so here's Philip with this great opportunity to present who Jesus Christ is. He tells him, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. He didn't get off on a bunch of little side trails. Well, you know, Africa, they worship this and they're off on that. And he, you know, he sticks with the gospel. And the good news about Jesus is, who is he? He's the son of God. And what has he done? He died in your place on the cross for your sins because you couldn't save yourself. And you know, one of the most effective tools that you have to share with somebody, you say, I can't remember all that, those theological points. Share your testimony, your story of what Jesus Christ has done for you. How has he changed your life? You know, that is the single most effective and powerful tool that you have. Not saying you shouldn't know the gospel because it would help if you did. But I'm saying you need to share your story. You need to, to share what difference God has made in your life and how you've changed. Now you say, but I was five. You know, I can't say yes, I had this... Just, you know, running drugs on the side and, and having all of these, you know, you know, slavery issues over here. And, and then when I was four, I came to know Jesus. That's not usually your testimony when you're little. But you have ways God has worked in your life since then. You've seen miracles. And a lot of you I've talked to that have shared, yes, I became a Christian at five. But then it was really later that I really understood what it meant and... I was 13, I was 19, or whatever. And a lot of stuff's happened in between 5 and 18 or 19. So tell your story. And so it helps to know a simple gospel presentation of the good news of having a relationship with God. Who Jesus Christ, well, who man is. We're all sinful, and you have to explain that doesn't mean you're the worst possible person in the world. You're sinful, so you can't work your way to God, can't earn it. Jesus Christ, who's God, came and died on the cross for your sins, and they just have to decide if that's something they want to commit to. And the word faith is, as we're going to see in a minute, it's not just some intellectual exchange. This is like a a commitment of who you are. I like the word trust, not because faith is a bad word, but because people have, I I have faith the Seahawks are going to win the Super Bowl. Well, I... (laughs) I hope, no 49er fans in here are there, so, oh my gosh, go home. (laughs) How did we let you in here, Brian? (laughs) Well, at any rate, that's one kind of faith. It's another kind of faith that says, I put my life, I invest my life in this. I'll bet Brian is not investing the very nature of his life into the 49ers, even though Richard Sherman betrayed the Seahawks and went there. It's a different word, isn't it, to trust. It's not just wishful thinking. So we're sinful and separated from God. We can't earn our way. Jesus Christ, God himself, came and paid that sacrifice. And because he's God, it was infinite. It would cover all the sins of all the people in the whole world that would ever have sinned. He could cover it because God is infinite. But you have to put your trust in that. And we'll give you a chance to do that in a few minutes. And so, number three is share. Explain. We share who Jesus Christ is, 
and what he has done. So he helps to learn a simple gospel presentation. So do you know how to explain who Jesus Christ is? Could you explain and share who you are and how God has changed your life? Could you, could you do that part? Are you willing to learn a gospel presentation? Because that's your most powerful tool. So, And maybe even think about when's the last time you shared some of your spiritual story with someone? When? Think about that. Because God wants to open these doors with these five people over the next five weeks just to put the name into mind. Then you pray, show me their needs, and then maybe you'll have some spiritual conversations. Okay, Acts chapter 8, verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Okay, so believing, as I said, is more than an intellectual proposition. It isn't just something where you know this knowledge about who Jesus is and what he's done. You have to do something with it. And once that person makes a a commitment, makes that decision, and we say, well, they're a convert. But notice, that's not the end of the story with the the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip takes him to get him baptized. So they're taking steps further. So remember, there are not the two of them out in the middle of the desert. There's a whole bunch of court people looking on. And they're seeing a guy make a commitment. And so he's going to need to grow in his faith. Often we think that once we make converts, that's it. But the Great Commission in Matthew 28 doesn't say go and make converts, does it? It says go and make disciples. And disciples are followers. And then it goes on teaching them, you know, baptizing them and teaching them. And so they need to be followed up. New believers need to have somebody who works with them one-on-one or in a small group. You know, remember what the parable of, uh, of the, the soils talked about. First, there was the seed that fell on the rocky ground and, and nothing happened with it, those who immediately reject. Then there was one where the seed springs up. And one of the gospels says, they immediately receive the message with joy. They respond, but then the sun, things get bad and it withers, and they don't go anywhere. It doesn't grow. If you have rocky soil, I can imagine that in eastern Washington, you might find your plants don't grow if you don't get some of those rocks out of the way. But then there's a third soil, a soil that has thorns, and it chokes out the seed, right? Right? We discovered when we came back to our yard these little Japanese lantern plants. They're like something out of a sci-fi movie. They're like I pulled in November, I dug, and there were roots that were just woven all out. They're popping up in my yard all over the place even though I dig them out. And so that's like they're choking out everything else around it. So I put raspberries there and they're fighting it out. (laughs) And... But the point is, is that that the thorns can choke it out. So how do we expect new Christians to walk and learn and stick with their decision if we just sort of say, great, you know, you made your decision, now go be warm, be filled. I, I, I don't have time for you anymore. You have to follow them up. You have to spend time with them. You have to help them be discipled and become a disciple. And so children who make a decision for Jesus will stick to that decision a lot better in a home with parents that are nourishing 
that belief. And if the kids come from a non-Christian home and we don't share with the parents, it puts a lot against that child. Not saying it can't happen, but just saying, you know, they need discipling. And if you can't get to them and they don't only come to your uh, VBS program, we need to take it further because they need to be discipled. So point number four, support new believers to become disciples. Support new believers to become disciples. So we have prayer to be available for to God's leading. We have caring, which opens doors and leads to spiritual conversations. And then we have to share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. That one's on your outline. And then finally, we support new believers to become disciples. So when have you helped establish a new believer? When have you helped pour your life into someone to grow in their faith? Because that's what being a disciple is all about. Those are our questions. As a healthy church, we have natural need-oriented evangelism or outreach to help people grow. Well, I have another convicting parable that might step on toes again, but, you know, I'm going to blame Max Lucado for this one. And so this is his parable of the candles. Maybe you've heard it. An electrical storm caused a blackout in our neighborhood. I felt my way through the darkness into the closet where we keep the candles, and I lit four. How great it is to have light, I said out loud. I'll put one of you on the table so we can eat, and one of you in the living room where you can light up the whole area. And and then a voice near my hand interrupted, Wait! Who are you? What are you? I demanded. I'm a candle. Don't take me out there. What do you mean, I asked. I have to take you out. You're a candle. Your job is to give light. It's dark out there. People are walking into walls. But I'm not ready, the candle explained. I need more preparation. I need to research this job of light giving so I won't go out and make mistakes. You'd be surprised how distorted the glow of an untrained candle can be. I just finished a great book on wind resistance and started the bestseller on flame display. I'm also listening to a message series on wick conservation called Waxing Eloquent. (laughs) All right, I said, then I'll blow you out and take the others. Just then the other voices cried out, we aren't going either. One candle said, I'm too busy. I said, you guys have been in here for years. Haven't you had time to get your wicks straight? A short purple candle spoke up. I'm waiting to get my life together. I'm not stable enough. I lose my temper easily. I guess you could say I'm a hothead. A candle with a female voice, very soothing voice, spoke up. I'd like to help, but lighting the darkness is not my gift. I sing to the other candles to encourage them to burn more brightly. She began singing this little light of mine. The other candles quickly joined in. I was getting disgusted. All this was sounding all too familiar. I shouted above the music. There's plenty of time for singing later. We got to get to the crisis that's out there. They wouldn't stop. They didn't hear. Four perfectly healthy candles singing to each other about light, but refusing to go out into the darkness. One by one, I blew them out. They kept singing to the end. 
I walked back out into the darkness. Where are the candles, my wife asked. They don't. No, they won't work. And then I asked, where'd you get those candles anyway? Oh, they're church candles, she said. Remember that church that closed its doors across town? I bought them there. Then it all made sense. Then I understood. Could this parable describe us even a little? Can we be true lights in our world and not hide out in our church? Let's pray. And I'm going to, as we pray, I'm going to give, if you've never made that choice, I, I, I forget, somebody was telling me a story of somebody who'd been in a church for years. Actually, Daniel, somebody who had been an Awana commander and didn't know the Lord. Not that that's Daniel, but imagine all of that Daniel does in that program, somebody working in it and not even realizing they didn't know Jesus. So maybe that describes you. And I'm going to give you a chance to follow after in a prayer. And if you've never prayed that, you can say it to yourself. You can say it silent. Actually, you can say it out loud if you want, but you don't have to. You can say it silently, and then I'd love to talk to you afterwards about what that decision meant. If you're saying, well, how would I ever lead someone to the Lord? I don't know what that would look like. Yeah, I could explain my story and who Jesus is and what he did, but then what do you do to kind of lead somebody there? And so this prayer was just an example. It's not like this is the prayer straight out of Scripture and you can only use this prayer. This is just an example um, that you could use that maybe would cover some of that. So let's all do the every eye closed, every head bowed kind of thing and not look around. And so if somebody wants to have some time in their heart to pray, you can follow along. So let me start... Uh, and then we'll say that prayer in the inside the prayer in a minute. So, Lord God, I just pray, if there's anyone here this morning who has never made that choice, they may have been in church for years, their whole life, but all of a sudden they've never heard the gospel because your spirit just quickened their heart to say, this is for you. And so I just pray, God, if that person is sitting here or persons that they would make a response to you this morning. So work in their heart. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here, I just pray. I invite that person to say to yourself this prayer, and I'll say it a phrase at a time. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for being born in this world and coming to live among us. I thank you, Lord, that you came to die in my place. I admit, Lord, that I am an imperfect person. I have sinned. I have made mistakes. And right now, I want to accept the offer of Jesus' death for me. I want to place my faith in him as the son of God who died for my sins. So Jesus, I invite you into my heart right now. And I thank you. I don't have to earn that or work my way by being a better person. I just have to believe and I do believe. Thank you for coming into my heart. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, if you made that, prayed that prayer, then come on up. If you would like to know more about how to lead somebody to the Lord that's like asking you hard questions, we'd love to talk to you. We have lots of people in here that would be very able to answer those questions. I can answer them. I can direct you to somebody that you might know, one of our elders or deacons. So please ask. We'd love to help you. So Danny, Gretchen, I'm going to invite you to come on back. And we'll sing a little more.